O Maranatha, our Lord comes. And he certainly is. And we certainly live in trying times, difficult times. Some would even say frightening times. But as I just said, I think they are exciting times. And we are going to be called upon to be faithful. We are going to be called upon to be energetic and to take a stand for God and His Word and not hesitate, not be embarrassed, not hesitate at all to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, turn with me to Psalm 2. Going to start out with our series, or we're going to continue with our series of Christ of the Book. This morning, we're going to be looking at Nahum. And in the book of Nahum, Christ is our stronghold. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. In the book of Nahum, he is our stronghold. I want to remind you what God's Word says. Again, in light of some of the things that happened this week, uh, there's so, uh, so much anxiety, so much chaos, so much bitterness, so much hatred toward the things of God. Um, Psalm 2, verse 1. I want to remind you what God's Word says as we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, spiritual wickedness in the high places. Look at Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage? And folks, they're raging. They're raging. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? This lost world is imagining some pretty empty, vain things. Not very logical at all. Certainly not godly. Look at verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. What's God's attitude? How does God view this? Verse 4. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. You want to know who's all powerful? You want to know who's almighty? You want to know who's in control? You want to know whose side we are on? It's the one he says, he sits in the heavens, he shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision be confused. They're going to be in derision. Psalm 59.8 says exactly the same thing, pretty much. The Lord is going to have them in derision. What should our attitude be during these very difficult times? Well, we're going to go to Nahum in just a second. And I'm going to tell you that what Nahum says to the nation of Nineveh, what he tells them 
are things that we need to be telling this lost world that does not love God, this world that is anti-God. We need to look at what Nahum says to Nineveh as a warning, and more than just a warning, as a prophecy against them. Um, but what a stern warning it is. But what should our attitude be? Look at Psalm 4. You don't have to go very far. Psalm 4. Verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makes me dwell in safety. I'm telling you, folks, these are exciting times. We should be excited about what God is getting ready to do. We should be getting excited about the opportunities that we're going to have. And this psalm is a psalm that we need to claim, we need to cling to, that it is God who has put gladness in our hearts. And it's this gladness, it's the word of truth, it's God's word that I think is going to give us the courage, is going to give us the answers as we stand firmly as St. Louis Bible Fellowship, but as the church of the living God, as the one body of believers who represent him, what an opportunity we are going to have. And I think that all that we are witnessing today, all that we are experiencing today, actually reminds me of two prophets and all that they went through. One is Nahum, and we're going to look at him today. The other one is Habakkuk, and we're going to look at him next week. As a matter of fact, if, if, um, if I were going to make a movie, and I wanted it to be exciting, if I wanted it to be thrilling, if I wanted it to be adventurous, if I wanted it to be where God just really comes through in a powerful, meaningful, obvious way, I'd make a movie of Nahum. He's my hero. Now, you've got to keep this in mind. Nahum didn't go to Judah, nor to Israel. In Judah, Israel being the God's nation, his people, Judah being God's nation, his people. I mean, that was, that was bad enough. But Nahum didn't say, hey, Judah, let me tell you what God's going to do. Hey, Israel, and they needed to hear, but he didn't go to Israel. He went to Nineveh. Nineveh, remember Nineveh? Nineveh is the city that God had sent Jonah to about 90 years prior, prior to what we're going to be looking at today. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah preached to Nineveh, you better repent. You better quit doing what you're doing. And Nineveh believed Jonah. And so God forgave them. They were wicked. They were ruthless. They were cruel. They were mean. And they recognized it. And it says that the entire city, the entire nation of Assyria, they repented. And Jonah was really upset with that, remember? Because he knew exactly what God was going to do with Nineveh, with Assyria. That he knew that God was going to use Assyria as his strong sword against his nation Israel, against his people Israel. And sure enough, Nineveh repented. But by this time, 
Nineveh has slipped back into that fierceness, that cruelty. Micah 5, 6 calls Nineveh the city of Nimrod. And if you do a study on Nimrod, you understand that he was a hunter of men. So many false religions, so many false beliefs, so much filth and degradation was, were brought about because of Nimrod and those who followed him. He was not a nice person. Well, this was his city. Nahum goes to Nineveh. He preaches to Nineveh. He warns, he warns Nineveh. And as he is about to warn Nineveh, or Assyria, that's the, Nineveh was the city, Assyria is the country. Assyria had pretty much at this time wiped Israel away and had taken them into captivity. Israel, the northern kingdom, had gone into, or in the process of going into Assyrian captivity. Nineveh is, is fierce, they're mean. Nahum prophesies against them, but one of the things he tells Judah should be a calming, glorious experience for all of us. Look at Nahum. Turn to Nahum chapter 1. Because it's in this verse where we learn who Christ is in the book of Nahum. In the volume of the book, it's written of me, the Lord Jesus says. And here in Nahum, we find him in verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that trust in him. Boy, if there's ever a message for today, folks, hold on to that verse. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He absolutely is. He certainly was. This is, this is Nahum's message to Judah. He was from Judah. What he was about to reveal, this, this burden to Nineveh, this prophecy against Nineveh, what he was about to say to Nineveh, he, and, and what Nineveh, they had their sights on Judah. Assyria had pretty much already demolished Israel, the northern kingdom. They had their sights on on, on Judah. And part of that, you know, you know why part of that is? It's because the king of Judah, Ahaz, had invited them down. It said, hey boys, we, we keep getting into trouble with Syria and with Israel. I mean, to me, that still blows my mind that here Israel, their cousins, their family, their, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, or having such such battles and having war. But because of that, this king of Judah, Ahaz, who was a bad king, he gets a hold of the Assyrian king and says, hey, will you, will you come and help us? Will you, will you stand with us against Israel and against Syria? And here, 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 take, take so much of the riches of the temple. Here, let me strip this gold and this silver. Let me, let me give you this. Let me pay for your protection. And what's so sad? Well, there's a lot of reasons why that's sad. But one of the main reasons that was so sad is God was saying, I'll save you. I'll save you. I'm your God. Trust in me. 
Don't trust in all these other gods. Don't trust in these other nations. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who will perform miracle after miracle on your behalf. Trust me. But Ahaz, oh, as a matter of fact, Ahaz was so bad. Let me tell you what he did. I've got it written down here to go into a little bit more detail, but you just need to know ahead of time. What Ahaz did and Assyria protected him. The king of Assyria came down and protected Ahaz and Judah from Israel. The king of the, 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 the Assyria, Sennacherib, actually had the king of Syria killed. It was a bloody, bloody time. And Ahaz, the king of Judah, keep in mind, this is Judah. This is where the temple is. This is Jerusalem, this is where God's holy people, his nation of priests, are to come from. This is the nation that God had blessed over and over and over again. When the king of Assyria saved Ahaz, he said, Wow, your gods are really powerful. I'm going to worship your gods. So he started cutting apart all of the different furniture, all the different aspects of the, tap- the temple in order to pacify the Assyrian gods. This is one of the reasons why when that many years later that Judah itself is going to go into captivity, but this time it's going to be going into Babylonian captivity. And one of the things that Nahum, Nahum predicts is that Judah... You're going to go into captivity. And he says, Nineveh, the one that's going to take you into captivity is Babylon. And what makes that so interesting is Babylon was barely a burp on the map. Babylon was not heard of. Babylon was weak. Babylon wasn't that strong. And they were in the southern part of that area. Nineveh was up in the northern part. But it wasn't going to be long before Babylon was going to flex its muscles. As a matter of fact, Nahum is even going to tell the, the Assyrians, here's how he's going, Babylon is going to destroy you. And that's a surefire way of knowing you're a prophet of God. When what you say comes true, right? And that's going to come true. And I'm going to tell you something. The same God who encouraged Nahum and who encouraged Judah is the same God that encourages us today. The same God who stands for his people, stands for his church, his body today. And we can trust him. We can look to him. We can rely on him. He is our stronghold today. And believe it. And he is good. The Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble. I tell that to you, his church, his body, those who are redeemed, those who love him. Here's what I'm going to tell a lost and dying world. And I hope, I hope, by faith they trust Christ. I pray for a revival. I pray for an awakening. But look at Nahum 1. Verse 1. 
the burden of Nineveh. You can substitute Nineveh right now for any other nation in the world that denies God. The book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. Here's what the world needs to know. God is jealous. God is jealous. And the Lord revenges. You know, I've talked to some of you here recently about all the things that are going on and all the idiocy and the where rights become wrong and wrongs become right. I know I keep harping on that. It just seems, seems like the world's upside down and it seems like the, there, there are people you just want to take and you want to shake and you just want to say, You're, quit being so foolish. Quit being such idiots. Quit, quit doing such wrong. Am I the only one that feels that way? Okay, I thought so. The rest of you are just really spiritual. The rest of you are whole. I understand. But you know what our attitude should be? Those people we see on the news that just get our goat, and, and I say, Lord, how long are you going to let them keep talking like that? How long are you going to allow them to keep speaking in that manner? And then I think the Lord revengeth. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. It's not my place to judge. Well, it's not my place to be vengeful. I don't judge, but God's word certainly does, and I don't have any problems taking a stand on what God's word calls wrong, I'm going to call wrong. That's not me judging, that's God's word. But the Lord revenges, and is furious. He is furious, is the Lord. He will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. You know, as I studied that this week, my heart really changed. There are, there are people you see on the news, there are things that you, you, you see happening, and you just, you, God, get them. God, don't allow that to happen. God, do something about that. The truth of the matter is, God's going to. And our prayer should be, Lord, save them. Lord, just move on their hearts because they're going to die. They're going to go to a Christless eternity in hell. That should burden us. I can put up with a little bit of their stupidity. Lord, give them a little longer to believe on you. Lord, give them just a little bit longer to come to the truth and know that you're a gracious God, a loving God, a merciful God during this present dispensation, during this time of grace. Lord, this is the day of salvation. Move on their hearts. Send someone, oh, maybe us, to tell them that Jesus saves. Because yes, he's a God of love, he's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of wrath for his enemies. That day's coming. We need to be telling a lost world that Jesus saves, that he is the answer. They are lost. They serve the God of this world who has been transformed into an angel of light, Satan, the devil himself. And if you don't think he's active, well, I got news for you. He is. And if you think he's going to be sitting still now, 
If you think he's sitting back going, oh man, I lost that Supreme Court battle. If you think he's going to sit back, you don't know what God's word says about what's coming. But this is Nahum's message to a wicked, godless, cruel nation. He reserves vengeance, wrath for his enemies. Let me give you some history. Turn to 2 Kings. And, and hopefully this is going to make it stand out even more for you. Let's put Nahum in its rightful scenario. In its rightful historical sequence. There is so much going on at this part of 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles. Same, same character, same history. One is from a political standpoint, the other is from a priestly standpoint. Chronicles has to do with the priest. From spiritual uh, kings has to do with political. Look at 2 Kings. Start with verse 5. Ahaz is the king of Judah. His dad was Jotham. Jotham was a good king. He did that which was right. Ahaz didn't listen. Uh, Ahaz kind of liked what was going on up in the northern kingdom. He liked what Israel was doing and how they were following after strange gods and all the sexual perversion and all the, the sin that they were involved in. He thought, that's cool. I like that. Look at verse 5, chapter 16. Then Reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remelah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. The reason is because Syria came to his rescue. And at that time, Reason, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drove the Jews from Elath. And the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to uh, Tilgath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. To whom should, had, to whom should he had been crying out? God, absolutely. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him. I bet he did. For the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Kir and slew reason. And king Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tilith Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest of the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. He sees an altar in Damascus, but guess it was not an altar of the Lord. It was an altar of the Syrian gods. And so he's he sketches out, he draws out, he talks to his priest, 
a Jew and says, I want an altar like this. I, I want to worship the way they worship because they, they saved me from Israel. They saved me from Syria. Can we have an altar like this, please? Second Chronicles 28 goes into detail about what all he did with that altar and how he stripped down all the other uh, the silver and the gold and all. Verse 11, And Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against King Ahaz. He came from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached to the altar and offered thereon. God's people. The king of Judah. Christ Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And he burnt his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon a false altar. It had nothing to do with the high God of heaven. It had nothing to do with the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. It has no, had nothing to do with the one that brought them out of Israel, out of Egypt, and made all the promises that entered into the covenant with the God, not the God of their fathers. This Ahaz had the audacity to offer up sacrifices on a strange altar. He poured out the drink offerings. And he brought also the brazen altar which was before the Lord from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house. And he put it on the north side of the altar. He subjugated the altar of God to this false altar. The king Ahaz commanded to Uriah the priest saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning offering. And on and on he tells him what to do. Look at verse 18. And the covert for the Sabbath that they had built in the house and the king's entry without turned he from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. He went from worshiping in the house of God, house of the Lord, to that of Assyria. Israel was to be God's nation of priests. Israel was to be God's anointed ones that told a lost world, a needful world, who the true God of heaven is. It was Israel, it was Judah who were to be an example, who were to be a light unto the Gentiles, who were to be the ones to point and say, we want, to, we want you to know who the true and living God is. It is Jehovah. It is Yahweh. He is the true God. Watch this. See how He protects us. See how He supplies. See how He heals us. See how peace, much peace he gives us. Look, let him demonstrate his awesome power and we will show you who the true God of heaven is. God was willing to do that. But because of the wickedness of their heart, they turned away from him. Second Kings 17. It's all about Israel going into captivity. Verse 13 says, and, and it's Assyrian captivity. They're going into the captivity of Assyria, Nineveh. I mean, the ones that Nahum is saying, uh, 
you're going to get yours. They haul Israel into captivity. Verse 13, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Verse 15, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the Gentiles, the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they called, listen to this, and they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, child sacrifice to Molech. Why did they do that? Because they were worshipping the false God of all of these heathen nations. Satan was having a heyday. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. They worshipped these, these false deities and they sacrificed their children to them. Of course, with abortion, we, we sacrificed our children for the sake of convenience, but that's a whole other story. But that's, tell me which one is, is bad. I mean, they're both, they're both horrid. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. And there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. So Nahum is crying out. He's telling Judah because they're following suit. They're doing the same thing. Ahaz is the king of, of Judah. He's copying Israel. And Nahum warns, don't do it. Don't do it. Second Kings 18. Verse 9. And there's so much more that went on, but we don't have time to get into that. But here, here's where Nahum comes in. That's all introduction. Okay? All right, we, now, now we come to Nahum. Nahum's ready. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah. They even, Judah has a new king, by the way, now. Hezekiah. Now he's a good king which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the uh, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came, he's got a new king in Syria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years, they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. You may think that's boring. You may go, oh, get over this. But let me tell you, that's important dating. That's important what he's doing is it's verifying the Word of God. Secular history comes along and they go, well, can this be right? This is too detailed. Guess what? The Word of God is right. The reason God does this, don't look at it as boring. Look at it as our mighty God is saying, point by point by point, I am right on. And you can take it to the bank. That's what that's, what that's all about. Verse 12, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and would not hear them nor do them. Talking about Israel. 
Verse 13, now the 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, it's a different king, they were going, it's like a revolving door of kings there because the sons kept killing the dads and the dads kept killing the sons and it was, it was, tell you, when I say it's vicious and cruel, they were vicious and cruel. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he comes up against all the fenced cities of Judah and he takes them. Now this is not Babylon. Judah's going to go into Babylonian captivity. This is Assyria. They're coming down and going, hey, I, uh, we're going to capture you. And one of the reasons they did that is because uh, the Assyrian king came down and Hezekiah said, oh, let me show you all the gold and silver we have. In, our, in the temple and in the king's house. And woo, let, let me show you how rich we are. And the king of Assyria went, oh, well, boy, you are. Now, just how powerful are you? Well, without God, they weren't. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, to Lesha, saying, I have offended, turn from me, that which thou put on me will I bear and the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah king of Judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold that's a bunch of money basically he bought his way out of this this seizure out of this time verse 16 and at that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and he gave it to the king of Assyria duh now here's the difference Ahaz pretty much had done the same thing except Ahaz is going to call on Assyria to protect us Hezekiah is going to call on the Lord most high to protect so way to go Hezekiah you did it right and what does God do he, he protects them he, he, God intervenes he protects them. But read this. Verse 19. The king of Assyria sends a delegation. He also sends a mighty force to Jerusalem. I mean a huge army. And they are... Did I say they were mean? Did I say they were cruel? This mighty army comes against Judah. And the Assyrian king had sent a delegation to you, you go and you tell Hezekiah and all of the people that we're coming from you, or for you. We're coming for you. And there's nothing you can do to stand in our way. And this Rabshakeh, look at verse 19. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein you trusted? You say, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom are you going to trust, you that rebel against me? Now this is the king of Assyria. Now behold, you trust upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man lean, it's going to go through his hands and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt unto all that trust in him. You can't trust in the king of Egypt. But if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and hath laid and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? 
You know what's interesting about that? The king of Assyria, his spokesman, Rabshakeh, he is trying to rally the people of Judah. And by the way, he's, he's speaking in Hebrew because he wants all the people, those on the fence, uh, those on the wall, those that can within earshot. He wants all of Judah to know what he's saying. Uh, uh, Hezekiah's people say, speak to us in your language. We, we can understand your language. Don't speak to us in Hebrew. He says, I'm going to speak to you where everybody can hear. And he says, I want you to know you're trusting in God? Well, you need to know that it's Hezekiah that took the, the high places and the groves and the incense from you. Like, that's a bad thing. He's using that, hoping that's going to stir the people up to go, you did what, Hezekiah? How dare you do that? He's making it sound as if it's a bad thing. And not only that, he's going to make you have to come to Jerusalem where the tabernacle is. He's going to make you come there to worship. Is that what you really want to do? As if that's going to make a difference. Well, it's worked in, it certainly worked in Israel. It worked in other places. Verse 23, now, therefore, I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria, and I will deliver unto thee 2,000 horses, if you be able on thy part to set riders upon them. Yes, so we, I can give you 2,000. Hey, we're going to give you a head start. We're going to try to help you out here. You want to do war against us? You want to stand against us? Here are the horses. Now, put riders on the horses. We don't have enough soldiers to do that. Oh, isn't that terrible? Hmm. Verse 28, Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. And what he's basically going to tell them is, you notice that this king stood against us and they trusted in their gods we wiped them out. This nation, they stood against us and they prayed to their gods. We wiped them out. He goes over this litany of nations that they have walked over and destroyed and they trusted in their gods and look where those nations are today. They belong to us. We destroyed them and your God's going to be the same. And Nehemiah steps up and says, just one moment, just one second, let me tell you something about our God. And you know what Nehemiah's God's going to do? Well, look, go back to Nehemiah real quick. It just gets exciting. See, I told you make a great movie. Uh, this, and it might have to be a two-part series, but it would be a good, oh, you would see the hand of God working. You would see this Ramshakeh coming and, and, and making these boastful claims and trying to strike fear in their hearts. Go to Nehemiah 1, verse 9. Because this is in reference to what Ramshakeh was saying. What do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. 
just one second, King, for while they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. And there is one cometh out of thee that imagines evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. He's referring to Ramshakeh. He's referring to, this guy is in deep trouble. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now will I break his yoke from off thee and will burst thy bonds and asunder. And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee that no more of thy name be shown. For out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave for thou art vile. This is being said to Nineveh. This is Nahum standing up to them and saying, here's what to expect. Isaiah uh, is also giving them what for during this time. Verse 15, oh, what a, what a promise to Judah. Behold upon the mountains the feet of them that brings good tidings, that publish peace. Oh, Judah, keep thy solemn feast. Perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off, talking about Assyria. Don't listen to him. You go ahead and you keep your feast days. You go ahead and you do all that God has instructed you to do. Don't listen to this vileness. Don't listen to what's going on. God is on his throne. The Lord, he is our stronghold. As a matter of fact, Nahum even said what was going to happen to them. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 8. But with an overrunning flood. Keep in mind, it's, it's Assyria. They are beating on the doors here. They are gathering together. They are wanting to capture uh, Judah just as they did Assyria. That's what's going on right here. It, verse 8. And with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. Remember, this is to Assyria. Guess what happened to Assyria? They were impregnable. Assyria, the city of Nineveh, its walls were 100 feet high. You could race three chariots alongside one another on their walls. That's what they boasted. Plus they had another hundred feet up of uh, battle, battle towers. You couldn't break in. You couldn't get in. They had enough food. They boasted that they could stand a 20-year siege. What they couldn't stand is when the true and living God floods the Tigris River and it breaks down their gates, their doors, and the Babylonian army is able to just come in and destroy them. You can't, you can't touch us. We're too strong. Oh, there's a leak. 
And the leak grew and grew. And it was God saying, not with sword, not with arrow, not with spear, but I can do it. Because God said he would do it. God did it. Oh, wow. Chapter 1 talks about Israel's or Judah's hope. Chapter 2 describes accurately Assyria's downfall. And chapter 3 goes into the fact that you deserved it. You deserved it. That Christ is the stronghold. He is the high and mighty tower. He is the one that you can run to. He is the one that you can safely trust in. Regardless of what the world is doing. Regardless of what the world is saying. God sits on his throne. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are that we know what this book says. We know what's coming. And we know that your will will certainly be done. So it's with confidence and thanksgiving and the utmost hope that we praise you and we stand upon your word. Father, help us never to falter, help us never to fail, but to stand firmly on thus saith the Lord, without apology. Father, we thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for how you've proven yourself strong and capable and potent, powerful. And I'm glad I'm on your side. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray this morning if there's anyone here that's never by faith trusted in you, Father, this will be the morning that by faith they'll believe that Christ Jesus died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. Father, they'll understand how important it is that they surrender their lives to you. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.